Welcome back to Kyle's Internal Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Babylon 5 Season 5 episode, Sleepy in Light. The final episode of Babylon 5 itself, and my final episode on Babylon 5. Of course, uh, uh, of course, it's not the end of this podcast. No, Kyle's Internal Monologue was always intended to just be me chatting about things I like. Uh, and as I've announced in the uh, the episode 100, uh, I'm going to be covering the Witcher saga next. Uh, more on that in a bit. And um, this episode is so impactful and so emotionally gut punching you that there is nothing I can say in my analysis that actually uh, would impact or summarize or in any way strengthen what is already there. It is pretty much perfect from second one to the end. Uh, it is it is amazing. It is one of the best endings to a fictional piece I have ever, ever seen. Uh, and it is the perfect goodbye to this world and these characters with the understanding that stories will continue on afterwards that these characters some of them are gone some of them will remain uh each of them still have places to go but we have only seen a small slice of their life and this is only the bit of uh the the life that we needed to see everything else will continue on without us seeing it is a living breathing world uh, there are so many little moments in this episode uh, that get to me. Uh, there, there are, are minor things that I think are pretty cool. The uh, the decision to not have an opening sequence, that the opening sequence is actually moved to the end and becomes the ending title sequence, I actually think was a, quite a clever move. Uh, this, of course, is directed by JMS himself. Uh, in that ending sequence, we see Marcus because this was filmed again in season four. Uh, during the cancellation crisis. And so, of course, they were beholden to the uh, credits as per season four. So things, you know, certain people couldn't be credited because that leads to issues with the Screen Actors Guild. So, like, uh, Sinclair couldn't be in the credits and uh, neither could Lockley or any other uh, character from the past, um, which is sad, but it still is a gut punch. And that... Those final five minutes are pretty much amazing, just from from a visual standpoint. Uh, having Ivanova's uh, voiceover uh, narrating the, the lessons learned from Babylon 5 and the impacts it's had and watching these characters move on uh, with their lives and then seeing that this was all a documentary by Ace and saying thank you to the uh, real life cast and crew uh, and JMS's one directorial statement to Christopher Franke you know break my heart and god he succeeded that is I can't watch that scene without breaking into absolute tears just flowing down my cheeks for a long time it is beautiful it is wonderful it is joyous, and it is sad, and it is bittersweet. It is everything Babylon 5 always was. At its core, uh, Babylon 5 is a message of hope. A message of 
that things aren't always going to work out and things don't always work out. But you still need to try. And when they do work out, maybe that reward is worth it in the long run, no matter how much you suffer in the process. And there's just so many great moments. Uh, you know, the final goodbye between Dylan and Sheridan, it's a, it's a beautiful moment. Uh, you know, just so much of emotion on uh, the actors just really sell it. Uh, and, you know, seeing everybody, uh, you know, Garibaldi's got a daughter now. Uh, he's, you know, running a very successful company. He's got the life. He got the happy ending he always wanted. Uh, Franklin is still the chief of xenobiology and makes regular check-ins with his good friend Garibaldi. Uh, Vera's emperor, as we always knew he would be, and he is enjoying his time there, and maybe possibly the Centauri have recovered from the situations with the Drak when Londo was emperor. Uh, and uh, Zack is still there on Babylon 5. He's going to be there until the day it shuts down, which, of course, he was. Uh, you know, Ivanova is a general in Earth Force. Uh, she's pretty much the head of Earth Force, but she doesn't she doesn't feel like she belongs here. You know, she was a woman of action. She needed to be in control. That was always her thing. After everybody she's lost, she has to gain some control over her life. And now she feels like an old warhorse, as she says. You know, someone paraded around for all the kids to oogle and ogle at before taken behind the barn and shot. Uh, it feels like nothing. She She's accomplishing nothing. And so when Delenn comes to her with that offer of... Please become Montilza, become the head of the Rangers. Uh, you know, that gives her a new purpose, a new beginning. And this episode, despite it being about death, is ultimately about new beginnings. You know, that is why Sheridan wants to watch the sun come up. The sun come up is the ending of something and the beginning of something new. It is the end of one day, the beginning of the next. And uh, it's about understanding that death is a natural part of life. And that there's nothing we can do to get rid of it. Uh, and uh, we just have to accept it with our he heads held high. And that was Sheridan's entire thing. Is I don't want mourning. I don't want tears. I want happiness. I want joy. I want a celebration. And so that dinner scene. Uh, you know, they're, they're all having a good time. Of course, there's this undertone of they're almost putting on a facade because they're all distraught. And, of course, Veer brings that out when he says he misses Londo. You know, even after everything that happened, he still misses his good friend. And then they have the toast to everybody that has passed, everybody that mattered to him. And I think it's a nice touch that Franklin was about the same mark as Ivanova finished it for him. Nice little touch. Uh, and, of course, Marcus in the title sequence uh, has this little note that says, you know, uh, Susan Ovadova requests a body be kept in cryo-storage until uh, such time as uh, revivification technology has been discovered. You know, it's her nice little payment back to him. You know, there is absolutely nothing I can say about this episode that in any way will uh, live up to what this episode is. Uh, it's got a very particular feeling about it. It feels like the end of Lord of the Rings um, in, in certain ways of uh, sailing out of Middle-earth. Um, it feels like the ending of King Arthur, even with the, you know, the Mimbari believe Sheridan will come back someday. Um, it, it's got this epic feeling to it, but also this melancholy and deep, deep character focus. 
Uh, this feels like the ending of a great fairy tale, but it is intrinsically tied to these characters and their journeys that they have been on. Uh, and I like the, you know, Babylon 5 comes to its end. The literal station comes to the end the same time Sheraton does, that they were intrinsically linked, that they have become redundant, that the old must let go for the new to uh, flourish. And we see uh, that that was intrinsically a part of the entire Shadow and Vorlon conflict. But when Sheraton goes to Coriana 6 to revisit the glory day of, you know, winning the Shadow War, and Lorien visits him and takes him beyond the rim, his quote-unquote death, however you wish to read that, uh, you know, Lorien repeats the questions when he first met him. And, uh, you know, who are you, what do you want, where are you going, why are you here, etc. Uh, and it all revolves around understanding that your time is up, but that doesn't mean it has to be a bad thing. Uh, in that uh, the world, the universe will continue without you. Uh, in that it is time for a new people to take the helm and guide the ship. And, and it's weird even seeing Babylon 5 as an empty shell of itself. We're so used to seeing bustling and moving. And to see it as just this empty, you know, empty space with very few people there. A skeleton crew uh, shows that times are changing. Babylon 5 was necessary for what it was. You know, it changed the future and it changed us. And there will be and there'll never be another. There is no need for another. It changed history. And like so much history, it is abandoned and forgotten and remembered only as stories. And we move on and we change and we grow, but we try and respect the past for what it is. It is truly a phenomenal episode. Uh, and it's a wonderful, wonderful goodbye to this series. Um, there's not nothing, like I said, that I can really add that will be as any impactful as just watching it. Go watch it. You're going to be in tears. And if you're not crying, I don't know uh, if you're human. <laughs> because it is truly, truly one of the most emotionally impactful Indians I've ever seen. And how it continues certain arcs, like Ivanova's so goddamn tired of losing everybody. And once again, she has to lose a good friend. Uh, you know, and how everybody just drops everything to go to Sheridan. And this is what I like is, you know, as I pointed out, when Sheridan was revived on Zaha Doom, he did die there. You know, Lorian could only breathe, uh, you know, uh, onto the fires that are already there, the glowing embers. So therefore, he did die on Zaha Doom. Kosh was right. It only took 20 years for that bullet to catch up, I suppose. Uh, it's also incredibly sad at the dinner scene you know, to absent friends, and memory is still bright. How many people at that table in real life are dead now? It's quite tragic. I want to take a moment to, outside of the episode, talk about Babylon 5 itself. Uh, because I think that would be more productive than talking about the episode itself. I can talk all day about how beautiful every single line and every single camera shot this episode was and how poetic it is that JMS is the worker that turns off the lights before Babylon 5 is destroyed and decommissioned. But I don't need to. The episode speaks for itself in such a way that I, 24-year-old idiot, do not have the ability to 
succinctly say everything. So I want to talk about Beaver 5 as a whole and why I chose it for this podcast. Many years ago, uh, we're talking spring of 2016, I was uh, my second year at university, uh, and uh, that, that, that year was wrapping up. I had finished most of my assignments. I was looking for something to occupy my time during the spring break before exams weeks uh, would come about a month later. Uh, and I only had a couple assignments due uh, during the exam weeks because creative writing students didn't actually have exams. We just had essays. Uh, and so I was looking for something. And I heard about this show called Babylon 5. But I never watched it. I'd heard about it in various internet forums. People have talked about it, but I never really paid much attention to it. But I heard great things about it. I heard it was very similar to a Star Trek show that I really like called Deep Space Nine. And so when I was looking for something, I found it. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. Let's see what it is, what it's like. And I watched the first episode, that being The Gathering. Uh, I had done enough research to know that that was where you begin. Uh, and, uh, I had heard that this was a revolutionary TV show of the time, that it was trying something new, something different. So I watched it and I thought the gathering was pretty all right. Uh, you know, it, the, the problem with the gathering is it has a lot of flaws in it. And, uh, also some of the stuff is more appreciated once you've seen the entire series and you see what is being done in uh, very clever ways, but it is also a very flawed pilot. But I continued on, I soldiered on, uh, and after a couple episodes, I got into a rhythm of the show. I started liking these characters, I started liking this world, uh, and there were episodes that stood out more than others, and then over time, I really got invested, and I asked my mother, uh, who I was regularly Skyping at the time, hey, would you like to watch this show? I'm uh, I'm a couple seasons in. I think it's really really good. I think you might like it. Uh, and so she started watching it. So I started rewatching it before I had even finished it. And uh, I ended up finishing it only a couple weeks after my mom started it. And then we watched it together. Uh, and it was a beautiful, beautiful journey that pretty much most of spring of 2016 and into the summer of 2016, I was in this world with these characters and I loved and I adored this world and I fell in love with it because it was everything I was looking for it was a serious sci-fi show that uh told an ongoing narrative that had a lot of themes that were very relevant to the time uh that were very important and I think more people should understand and hear uh it was talking about my world weirdly in a way uh from the past that it was it was a show made in the 90s that felt like it was tailor-made for the 2016 mindset uh and that was so strange to me and it, it was so perfect it was it was an amazing piece of art uh and my friends can tell you there is a kyle before babylon 5 and there's kyle after babylon 5 i would not shut up about it i began you know uh prophesizing it to people um one of my friends calls me a witcher book evangelical that i constantly preach how amazing the books are and that everybody should read them well this was even before i had discovered the witcher uh so i'm sure that friend her name is claudia she's appeared on the show would describe me as a babylon 5 evangelical if uh she had known me uh 
uh, uh, you know, before then, uh, before I discovered B5. Uh, and But our friendship is primarily built on our relationship with The Witcher. Uh, so, you know, anyway. Uh, so this show impacted me in several ways. I ended up writing several essays about it in my coursework in starting uh, in my third year. Uh, I wrote an entire... Uh, I had to write a treatment in a, in a uh, pitch for a docudrama, uh, sort of a dramatized real-life event, and I chose JMS creating B5 that I, I, I got very meta with it, that I was doing a pitch about a man doing a pitch. <laughs> uh, and uh, I this show meant so much to me. It still means a lot to me. It's my favorite TV show of all time. You know, I, I look at it and I want to study it stem to stern and understand what makes it tick so that I can import that into my own writing, the, the, those lessons, those techniques, the messaging. Everything that Babylon 5 stands for is something I agree with in some fundamental way. Uh, and it all came out of a happenstance, right time, hearing the right words, I discovered Babylon 5, and I'm a different man because of it. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, art has a way of touching us in certain ways. Some people have bigger connections to certain pieces of art than others. Uh, my father thinks Babylon 5 is all right. He doesn't love it like I do. I adore it. And for its many, many, many flaws, you know, uh, it still resonates with me in some capacity for its lack of budget it's a rudimentary use of cgi that uh is very dated to its acting issues at times to uh its flaws in its storytelling to its um revolutionary use of serialized storytelling that was so unknown in uncharted waters at the time that it seems quaint by today's TV standards, it still touched me in ways that TV shows don't. I've yet to encounter a TV show that impacted me in such a way. You know, the the closest I can get to something that impacted me this emotionally outside of TV is either The Question, a comic book series that I may cover at some point, and The Witcher Saga, which is the next thing I'm covering on this show. Those two things really impacted me the same way B5 impacted me. It taught me uh, certain things about the medium, certain things about storytelling, and it taught me life lessons that I will carry with me forever forwards. Babylon 5 is special. It's special to me. It's special to JMS. It's special to a lot of people around the world. And I'm sad that it has fallen into obscurity over the years, and I'm sad that it is not given the same treatment it should be receiving from Warner Brothers. But those who have heard it love it. And they love it intensely. And I think that is important, is that this story, while it's ended, it continues on in our hearts and our minds, and it taught us lessons that make us better people. And I think that is the greatest thing Babylon 5 offers, is a world characters and an overall message we can all believe in and trust and bring into our hearts 
it is rare to have a piece of fiction end so incredibly well. You know, uh, people make fun of endings of various different franchises. Recently, probably Game of Thrones. Uh, it, you know, its ending was not all that great. Uh, and many people hated it. And it tainted forever that reputation of that series, that franchise as a whole. The Battlestar Galactica reboot, which I think is amazing, and I may cover at some point on this series, uh, its ending was very controversial. I have many qualms with that ending. I do think it's not as horrible as people say, but it does have its issues. You know, that tainted BSG, and some people can't go back to it. But Babylon 5, I have never encountered anybody who says Sleeping Light is bad or horrible or taints the rest of the series. They usually say that about season five, which is not something I wholly agree with, as my previous episodes should, you know, stand on their own as saying. But Sleeping Light is considered near perfect, and I think it should remain that way. I think it is the gold standard for endings of a TV show anyway. And that is that is something very special Babylon 5 holds. And I and I'm glad Babylon 5 came into my life and taught me the lessons it taught me, and taught me the things about storytelling, it taught me, and brought me into the characters, made these characters so lovable and likable that they, you know, are so important to me that I can, you know, name every character on this show, every main character, and in cer certain minor characters, and they conjure up certain feelings and images in my mind when I say their name. Uh, and I chose this series as my first thing to cover on Kyle's internal monologue out of whim really that my therapist had uh, basically told me I needed to find some way to uh, talk more openly uh, to espouse my opinions and um, I had articles that I was writing uh, and I still write for the Daily Fandom uh, and a couple other sites uh, including comic book resources but that wasn't enough. It wasn't as personal. You know, in uh, in written form, I seem far more intelligent than I actually am. Uh, and here you can hear me um and ah. You can hear me make mistakes. You can hear me question myself. And it's far more personal and far more intimate. Uh, and I wanted to start a podcast. And I started a podcast, uh, you know, with someone who used to be my friend. Uh, and, uh, they did not want to record as often as I wanted to. And so my therapist suggested, uh, doing a solo podcast and that's what I did. And, uh, eventually the other podcast died out and this, this podcast remains and it is a, uh, it is a podcast that I've done 113 episodes now. This is the 113th episode. It's hard to believe. You know, it's been two and a half years, pretty much. You know, there was two hiatuses, uh, one due to mental health issues and one due to uh, COVID-related issues that I severely apologize for, you know, taking those hiatuses. I did not expect them. But, uh, you know, and, and there was times that I skipped things I wanted to do. Uh, initially, my plan was to do uh the pilot episodes of certain uh tv shows that began that i that i wanted to talk about there was i did stump town i wanted to do witcher i was thinking about doing watchmen however witcher and watchmen uh is sort of came started coming out when i was abroad i was in europe at the time i was visiting friends 
uh, and I had pre-recorded all my episodes to go out uh, while I was away, so it didn't see, so I didn't have to take a hiatus, uh, and so, and I wasn't in a place where I could, you know, actively record without being interrupted, because I was staying at friends' houses, and it wasn't, you know, the best environment to record in, uh, so, uh, you know, I just didn't end up doing it, and, I, and I'm sad about that, but I was able to focus on P5, and bring my joy of the series to you, and hopefully you enjoyed going along with it with me. Uh, and, you know, this podcast, you know, is it's a lot of work at times, um, whether it's the editing or the recording and dealing with my own mental health issues, finding the motivation to do this, especially when I'm recording in uh, large chunks at times, uh, is incredibly difficult. Uh, and finding the right words to say, because sometimes... I feel like I didn't say enough about the episode, or I feel like I bungled a point. Um, but at the end of the day, I guess that makes the podcast, as I said, a bit more personal, a bit more intimate, that I'm not always perfect, that I'm not always as intelligent as I come out across in written form. Uh, and I chose Babylon 5 for this podcast because I thought, what is something that you love that you don't get to talk about a lot? Babylon 5 is an obscure TV show now. It's long gone. It's long past. Uh, the age of serialized storytelling is now. Um, it's not revolutionary anymore, even though it pretty much wrote the book on American serialized television and it wrote the book on using CGI on a television budget. It's usually forgotten. There's still people in the industry that respect it. David Limeloff, uh, you know, uh, called JMS up to say that Babylon 5 inspired his take on Lost. Uh, Roland D. Moore did the same with Battlestar Galactica, phoned uh, JMS up and said, Babylon 5 inspired me to do this. Um, you know, it still has impact, but it is largely forgotten by the pop culture masses. Uh, and as such, I have very few people that have ever watched this show in my life. Um, my parents, only because I asked them to. Uh, certain friends of mine, uh, but none that would be willing to talk about it at length the same way I do. Um, a lot of them uh, don't look at things on a literary level like I do. It's the nature of having a creative writing degree and being a writer myself. I look at things differently than everybody else does. And sometimes that is to the detriment of things. I like to think it is a positive because it allows me to, you know, go on and on on in this podcast. But when interacting with friends, they don't really care about thematic understandings or uh, what the overall political or social message of an episode was. They just care about, you know, was it fun? And that's not what I'm looking for to discuss. So I didn't really have anybody to talk about what I wanted to talk about with Babylon 5. And so that's what this was for. And now I move on to The Witcher. Uh, the Witcher saga uh, also came to me at a very important time, not long after Babylon 5. Uh, and it it taught me a lot of things. It uh, made me question a lot of things. Um, and it's very emotionally impactful to me as a person and, and very, very, very important to me uh, as a whole. And I've done a retrospective series on it with Claudia. Uh, you know, uh, we we have that on the Daily Fandom, uh, both .com and .org. 
it's probably going to be going up on another site uh, soon uh, just to curate it all in one spot due to the site change. But we haven't finished that. But we're way past the books now. We're into the games. We're on the third game. Uh, and the TV show came out. And the TV show, uh, to me, was a disappointment. At times it's okay, but many times it disappoints me. Uh, the, these books mean a lot to me. And I don't really get to discuss it a lot. Um, you know, the retrospective with Claudia is, you know, uh, few and far between. We have a lot of hiatuses because of her work schedule. Uh, and so this is going to give me the chance to talk about Witcher one-on-one -on -one with you guys, I guess. Uh, and of course I will be having a guest on for an occasional thing, uh, you know, occasional short story, Joshua Rapier. He's a good friend of mine from my university days. Uh, you know, he, uh, he was a member of my society and, uh, he only watched the TV show. But he heard me rag on and on about how much I love the books long before the TV show ever came out. So it's going to be interesting to hear his perspective on things. Uh, and I hope you enjoy having another presence on the show besides me. I guess it becomes Kyle's external monologue, I guess. But the naming convention stays the same. And he won't be joining us for all the short stories. He'll only be joining us for a select few ones that he really wants to talk about now that he's started reading the series. Um, and so... I just want to say thank you for listening to this show and listening to me ramble on and on about my favorite TV show. And I hope that you continue to listen to me ramble about my favorite fantasy series. Probably one of my favorite book series of all time, but definitely my favorite fantasy series of all time with some of my favorite characters. And, of course, it all begins where it always will begin for The Witcher uh, with the titular story. Wijdman, as it is in Polish, or The Witcher, as it is in English, submitted to a short story contest for the Fantastica magazine in Poland that won third place. Andrzej Szkowski's wonderful Witcher saga begins here, where Geralt of Rivia, our uh, resident monster slayer, a Witcher by trade, gets an unusual contract by King Foltis of Tiberia to cure his daughter of a curse. I put together a neat little outro for this episode. I hope you stick around to listen to it. Um, if you're hearing my normal outro, that means that copyright has, uh, you know, veered its ugly head and I had to switch it for legal reasons. But uh, if you're not hearing my usual outro, uh, then you're hearing something that took me a little while to put together, showing the, in a audible sense, the transition from Babylon 5 to The Witcher. I shall see you next time as we begin our journey through the Witcher saga with Geralt. Until then, as Dylan would say, faith manages. So there is a hole in your mind. What do you want? No one here is exactly what he appears. Nothing's the same anymore. Commander Sinclair is being reassigned. Why don't you eliminate the entire non-holy Reaching out of the stuff. Who are you? President Clark has signed a decree today declaring These orders law. have forced us to declare independence. That's why people get off their encounter suited butts and do something. You are the one who wants to Zahadu who will die. Why are you here? Do you have anything worth living for? Think of my beautiful city. Flames. Giants in the playground. Now get the hell out of our galaxy. We are here to place President Clark under arrest.